pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning once again. We thank you for the beautiful day. Lord, we thank you for this special occasion of Mother's Day. And we ask, Lord, that you would superintend every detail in the service today, that you would accept our worship and our singing, and, Lord, at the end of the service in our giving. But most of all, that, Lord, you would uh, use the special music to prepare hearts and the preaching to move us in the direction that you would have us to move, that we would leave here different than when we came, better able closer to to serve you, closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. It is Mother's Day, and uh, we want to honor those that are here this morning as mothers, and that's what the roses are up at the front at the end of the service. I have our ushers help us uh, pass those out and hope that it will just be a small reminder And, of course, you always have to ask the question, where would you be without your mother? Amen? And, of course, you wouldn't. And uh, so we we thank the Lord for that. It's an amazing thing that uh, uh, we're not going to take time to do the whole story today, but the, the woman who is humanly responsible for the celebration of Mother's Day spent so much time and effort lobbying Congress and trying to get things done so that this day would be nationally recognized that she never married and never became a mother. And uh, I, I admire that kind of devotion to a certain degree, but on, on a much more simple plane, I, I think God wants us to enjoy and to live life. Amen? And... Uh, this morning, what we're going to do is kind of go through uh, the Bible. We're going to look at uh, four different mothers whose stories are listed uh, in the Scriptures. And then we're going to go to one other passage and, and Lord willing, kind of tie this all together. Uh, we're going to start in the first book of Samuel, in First Samuel chapter 1. Many of you already know the story here. It is the story of Hannah. Now, Hannah was the wife of Elkanah, and uh, she could not have children. Uh, There are so many things, stories uh, of women desiring to be mothers and just sometimes even some terrible and horrible things that are done. Now, Hannah wanted to be uh, a a mother. She wanted to have children. And part of Hannah's own personal uh, torment was the fact that her husband had two wives and the other wife had children and Hannah didn't. And the wife that did not have children was tormenting Hannah. And Hannah did... What we, what we ought to do when we find a very difficult situation in life, one that we cannot address. And so let's look at verse 9 of chapter 1. It says, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, that's just past tense for drink, has nothing to do with inebriation. Now Eli the priest sat on a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, And prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. 
And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, as Hannah was praying, Eli the priest was watching, and she was in such earnest of soul that she wasn't even talking out loud. She was praying in the depths of her soul. And Eli looked at her and he said, Listen, go get drunk somewhere else. And she said, No, that is not my situation. I am praying to the Lord out of a, a, a very, very... Let's look at her words here. She said, The abundance of my complaint and my grief have I spoken hitherto. Now look at verse 17. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat. And her countenance was no more sad. Now, Hannah wanted a son. She wanted a son in the worst kind of way. And sometimes we get the idea that Hannah was making a deal with God. And that wasn't the case at all. Hannah said, listen, if you will just give me the privilege of having a son, that son will be dedicated to your service. And and she said that he would, uh, there no razor come upon his head. That meant that she would train him as a Nazarite, which is a special uh, a vow to the Lord, and that he would be separated unto the Lord's service all his life. And, of course, we know that son's name. His name is Samuel. God gave her the answer to her request. And the next year when they went up to the sacrifice, Hannah stayed home and she took care of Little Samuel, and when he got of an age, she went up and she left him at the tabernacle. Now, how many of you would like to pray for something like that and then give it up? She got to see Samuel once a year when she went to offer her sacrifice. Now, I'll tell you what, I, I go out of town for a week, come back, and it looks like Jason is six inches taller than when I left. I mean, kids change. But to only see your child, your son, once a year would be a, would be a difficult thing. And then how many of you know the story of Eli and Eli's sons? I mean, they, uh, you talk about somebody that you would not choose to raise your child. Eli's name would be at the top of the list. I mean, he did a pretty rotten job with his own boys. And yet... She made a promise, a vow, the Bible tells us. And her husband confirmed that vow and left little Samuel to grow up there at the tabernacle. Now, I love the story of Hannah because it's such an illustration of giving to the Lord. You know, if you don't have something to give, that's what Jesus meant when it's more blessed to give than to receive. Guess what? You have to have something to give. I mean, there are times when 
we have great needs and, and we ask the Lord to give, but it's always a wonderful opportunity when, when we have the opportunity, the ability to give. And, and Hannah did not have the ability to give. And she said, God, if you'll give me Samuel, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you. Now, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, you can't outgive God? I mean, that's in the Bible. Press down. The, the Lord does not need us. We need Him. But it's a wonderful opportunity when He allows us to give. And it's a very special thing when you will find out what God wants and ask Him to give you what He wants so that you can give it to Him. You see, Eli was not a good priest. His sons were evil men. And everybody that went to worship there uh, in Shiloh, where, where the tabernacle was basically set up, went with this attitude. I love the Lord. I want to be obedient to God, but I can't stand those sons of Eli. They make worshiping the Lord a burden and a difficulty. You know what Hannah did? She understood a little bit about the heart of God. You want to get God angry at you? You start messing with worship. You start hindering other people's ability to worship. You read the story. God was plenty angry. In fact, he wiped out Eli and his house all in one day. Because God wanted it done in a special way that people would take notice that you don't mess with worship. And, and Hannah looked at this situation and, and she said, I don't know what the entire solution is, but I do know that if we had one man who was totally dedicated to serving God, he would clean up this problem with our worship and people would want to worship God again. God answered Hannah's prayer. And Samuel was the last of the judges. He was never the king. But he ordained Saul and he ordained David to be kings of Israel. And guess what God did for Hannah personally? She had five other children. Three sons and two daughters. Read about it in second in first Samuel chapter two. And if you follow the story all the way to the end, when Samuel was the judge over all Israel, guess what Samuel's hometown was? Ramah. Guess who lived there? Grandma. Uh, Hannah. You see, Samuel had gotten married and had his own family at this point. And Hannah didn't get to watch Samuel grow up, but she got to watch his children grow up. You see, you can't outgive God. But if you're going to pray like Hannah did and have God answer your prayer, you're going to have to get close enough to God to understand what God wants to do. God wanted a man. He wasn't going to find it in Eli's house. 
even though Eli, Eli was the descendant of Aaron and the high priest. But he found it in Hannah's heart. And he gave her Samuel in answer to her prayers. I'll tell you, there's something special about a mother's prayer. And Hannah was an example. Now, our next story isn't quite as positive. How many of you remember a man named Jacob? And he had two wives. One was Rachel. The other was Leah. Rachel wanted children really bad. In fact, in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1, she says, Give me children or else I die. She went to her husband and said, It's your fault. I want children. And Jacob said, Listen, I'm not God. Well, God gave her a son. His name was Joseph. And you know what Rachel's answer to that was? If you go down in chapter 30 to verse uh, 24, she said, God shall add to me a second son. One's not enough. I'm one too. You know, there's an attitude here. It's kind of scary. You know, sometimes people want children for other reasons than being a mother. I, I didn't take time to look it up, but just stop and think of everything that mother does and how much she gets paid for what she does. You know what? You couldn't hire a mother with any amount of money. Being a mother is something you have to surrender to. And Rachel wanted children, but she died giving birth to her second son. And just to show you her attitude, she was going to name him Benanoi. Now, the Hebrew word Ben means son. And she was going to call him the son of her sorrow. I wonder, and you can't change history, but I just wonder if she had been a little more thankful after Joseph and not demanded Benjamin, maybe her life would have been just a little happier. What do you think? You know, one thing I found, and this applies to everybody here in this room, is we all want to be somewhere else. Now, we shouldn't, but we do. How many of you remember when you were 18? I can't wait to be an adult and do all these things. I still love the sign in my old barber shop. It said, go ahead. Leave home. Pay all your own bills while you still know everything. Now, I'll tell you what. A lot of wisdom in that little statement there, but don't do what it says. It's being sarcastic. You know, the idea that we know what God ought to do has no real place in motherhood. Because I'll tell you, if you don't trust God, it doesn't work. 
There is just no way. And, and medical science tells us that God does all kinds of special things, has done, built into what a woman is, that she can put up with all of those sleepless nights when the children are little. And, and uh, uh, if, if we as men had to go through what a woman goes through in delivering a child, we'd all be dead. That's why God didn't do it. Uh, he did it a little differently. And, and He blessed the woman. And if there's anything that we ought to fight for today is the privilege of allowing mother to be mother. Amen? Allowing, if you're married today, you ought to give your wife the opportunity to be a woman, to be a mother to your children. Children don't need a lot. They need parents. They can give up just about anything. You know, you could raise a child perfectly normal and well without Nintendo and Internet connection. Now, I don't claim to know everything about babies, but after 12 of them, I know a little bit about babies. And there is no Internet access port built into them. There's no place to plug them in. So take them out and put them to work. Amen? Uh, give them something to do. Teach them how to do some things. But Rachel is our negative this morning. Because she did want to be a mother, but she wanted to be a mother for other reasons. She, she, want, she was in a contest. She wanted, to, she wanted to have victory over her sister. And it caused her to do a lot of things that just weren't right. And it made her life miserable. And, you know... We have people that just can't wait to become an adult, can't wait to become a mother, and then they get a mother and they can't wait until their kids all leave. Somebody says, what are you going to do when your kids are all out of the home? Well, we'll be in our early 60s by then. Uh, I'm sure we'll be able to figure it out. Amen? Uh, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about empty nest syndrome. Uh, because you live your life. This is what Rachel didn't do. This is what Hannah did do. She saw something God wanted to do and prayed, and God answered her prayer. Rachel saw something that she wanted to do, and God answered her prayers too, just not quite in the way that Rachel wanted them answered. And her life was a sad and, and tragic life. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. And of course, if we're doing a survey of mother, mothers in the Bible, we have to stop at Luke chapter 1 and spend a few moments with a young woman named Mary. Now, if you had time to read all of Luke chapter 1, you'll have... Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, married to Zechariah, one of the high priests. And Zechariah is in the temple offering incense. And 
An angel appears and says, you're going to have a son. And he says, how in the world do I know this? The angel said, I just told you. And therefore, you're going to be dumb and you're not going to be able to speak until all these things are accomplished. Now, how would you like to be given the best news of your life and not be able to say a word for nine months? God does have a sense of humor, does he not? But look at Mary's response when God said she would have a child. In verse 37, God answered her questions. He said, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said in verse 38, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Do you see the attitude there? There's a lot of things that Mary didn't understand. In fact, we have libraries full of books trying to explain the hypostatic union. How many like theology out there? That's the theological term uh, for the fact that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. said, wow, that doesn't make sense to me. Well... Would you be willing, like Mary, to just say, be it according to thy word? You see, if God did everything just the way you thought he would do it, then who would really be God? And if God were so small that you could figure him out and totally understand him, He couldn't be God. He would be a creation of your imagination. And that's where most people are content to worship God. It's like the little baby. Oh, where did that come from? You ever see a little baby when they finally recognize your fingers? I love that point. They are so much fun. But that's where most people are content. Mary, instead of trying to understand the whole thing, said... Let your word be accomplished. But if you turn to Matthew chapter 13, we'll find out that that's not all Mary did with her life. Jesus was preaching. Matthew chapter 13, down toward the end of the chapter. And Jesus had taught all the parables that were in Matthew chapter 13. He came into his own country in verse 54. And they were astonished in verse 54. Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. Mary went on to have a normal life and a normal family with Joseph. And these were her brothers, uh, Jesus' brothers, sons that were born of Mary and sisters. And I know people go in, they say, 
Well, the word brethren could mean cousins, and the word brethren could mean a lot of things, but brethren and cistern uh, usually mean one mama and one daddy, uh, and the same one. I mean, that's what the words actually mean. You can argue about them if you want to believe something else. But how much faith would it take to be given those prophecies about Jesus and then go on to have what everyone else would be considered a normal life to the point. And that's what this passage is about. To the point that when Jesus manifests the miracles and the wisdom, they were going, who's this guy think he is? We know his mother. We know his father. We know his brothers. And none of them are like that. It says they were offended at him because he was so human. And yet, Mary sums it all up in her prayer in Luke chapter 1 and verse 47 when she says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. You know who needs a Savior? People who are lost. And Mary said, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Which meant that Mary needed to be saved just like we do. I I think it would take a great deal of faith to do what Mary did. Amen? And to do it with the attitude that we have All through her life. In fact, as she looked at her son hanging on the cross, what did he say? He spoke to John, his disciple, and he said, Behold thy mother. And he looked at her and says, Behold thy son. He'll, He'll take care of you. And several times it says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. You know what that means? I mean, she didn't understand what was going on. She didn't understand why all these things were happening. But she knew one thing. She was just going to be obedient to the Lord. James, that wrote the book of James, was one of Mary's sons. Jude, that wrote the book of Jude, was the Judas that we just read there. Not Judas Iscariot. That's a different guy. But... Judas, the son of Mary, the half-brother of Jesus, we would say. You see, you don't have to understand everything. But what you have to do is be obedient to God where you are. And that was a lesson that Mary taught. And I wonder how many times Mary looked and said, this is supposed to be the Messiah. What's he doing special? For 30 years, he did absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. In fact, when Jesus began his ministry, the verses we just read, they said, wait a minute, this guy worked in the carpentry shop until he's 30 years old. And all of a sudden, now he's a prophet? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, let me tell you something. You've got to let God do things God's way. Amen? 
And then you too can rejoice with Mary and God, her Savior. I want you to turn with me to one more. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we have barely a sentence about this mother. But we have two words of incredible testimony. One that every person in this room should desire to have said about themselves. Look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the ministry, not his physical son, of course, but the man that Paul trained. And, and uh, in verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. There's an awful lot about faith that a mother can teach her children. And that's what happened here with Eunice. I thought about maybe just calling out the name Eunice and saying, how many people know who Eunice is in the Bible? We might have gotten two or three hands. She is not well known, not unless you've just read through Timothy or are very familiar. Would you remember this? But here's what Paul says. He says, I remember the unfeigned faith. Now, that word feign is not a word that we use much in modern English. But what it means is it's fake. Have you ever met someone that feigned pleasure at your presence? Hi! Glad to see you! Can't wait until you leave. That is a feigned welcome. Have you ever met anybody with feigned faith? Oh, I love Jesus and He loves me. I mean, we're like that. I remember one time I was traveling with Brother Clayton, one of the guys said, Hey, Pete, you got to come see this. And there was a, a person on the television screen going, Now let's all blow a kiss to Jesus. And I'm sitting here going, Oh, my goodness. That is feigned, my friend. It's fake. The reason it's fake is because it's not real. It doesn't work. I remember meeting a preacher one time and somebody, we were sitting at a table and somebody asked him, Brother, how in the world do you keep up all the time and so happy all the time? And he just took the smile off his face and went deadpan, just, I lie. And then smiled and told another joke and went right on and I'm sitting here going, whoa. Brother Clayton said, "Brother, he said, Pete, you only got one mood and that one's not very good. But I'll take it. Amen. It's real. Uh, the joy of the Lord is in serving him and getting things done. Amen. And what we have here with Eunice is a faith that allowed her to live for God. In a Gentile world. You know, it was not easy for Jewish people to live anywhere outside of the land of Israel. 
And yet, here was Lois, and Paul knew her apparently. He said, I know that your grandmother had this kind of faith, and your mother had this kind of faith. And when Paul came into Timothy City, and Paul was looking for men for the ministry, guess who was ready? Timothy. He became the pastor of one of the greatest churches in the first century, the church at Ephesus. At Paul's bidding, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I left Timothy to straighten some things out. Now that tells you an awful lot about Timothy right there now, doesn't it? A simple daily faith that was transmitted to her son. You know, if there's something that you would pray for, something I would pray for, that's it right there. Amen? Now, I want us to take a few minutes and kind of tie this together. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. Touched on this a little bit with Rachel. Where would you be, or who would you be, if you could be anybody you wanted to be? Somebody said, I'd be rich. Well, you can have it. I see all the problems that rich people have. Um, Somebody said, I'd be President of the United States. Not me. I want to be right where I am, doing right what I'm doing. You know what the Bible says? Godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. You know, some women have died and even committed murder trying to be mothers. Terrible thing. Some women who are mothers would do anything to get rid of their kids. It's a crazy world in which we live, is it not? And yet, here's the answer to the question as to whether you're a mother, you want to be, wish you were, wish you could be, wish you weren't. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20. It says, Let every man abide... In the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is the Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren... Let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. Now, this is the main text that I wanted to get to this morning. Because each one of the ladies that we talked about today described this text positively, uh, Rachel negatively. 
Mary very simply, and, and Eunice in where most of us come in, in that daily unknown service for God. It didn't show up until Paul stopped through and took Timothy with her. And this was the second book of Timothy. You see, God knew where you would be when you got saved. Is that amazing to anybody? Now, we're not Calvinists. We don't believe God plans sin. We don't believe that God makes you get saved or makes you stay unsaved. We believe that faith for by grace, that's God's goodness, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men through faith. It's what you choose to do with this book. Everything is about the Bible. I remember a man saying to me, and he was an elderly man, he said, why did God wait until I was an old man to get saved? He said, the only answer I can give you is that God knew you'd get saved when you were an old man. And he began to tell me about his younger life, and I'm sitting there, don't tell me any, any more. That's, that's some really bad stuff. And... Um, He said, it's just a miracle to me that God kept me alive all these years with all the bad stuff that I did. And yet, the only answer that I could give him, and the same one I give you today, is that God knew when he would be willing to surrender to faith in God. You see, that's what this verse is talking about. Rachel's life would have been so much better if she had been willing to surrender to where she was rather than being willing to surrender to where she wanted to be. Amen? That's, that's where a lot of people live. I would rather live in obedience to God than any other place. You surrender to the place that God saved. Now, the example that is in our text, it says, if you're saved, if you were called as a servant... Now, that word servant is very different than what it meant in those days. This Read the passage. It says, if thou mayest be made free. It's talking about someone who had no personal freedom. How many of you would like to be told when to get up every morning? When you could go to bed? And what you were supposed to do all day? Say, wow, that sounds like home. Somebody said, that sounds like the Marine Corps. Well, no, the life of a servant was you would live your whole life that way. You were someone else's property. We, we don't get that today. We, it doesn't make sense to us. But that's what was going on in Apostle Paul's day. And he said, listen, if you get saved being a slave, guess what? You're Christ's free man. But if you're a free man and you get saved, guess what you become? He used the same word. Christ, servant. That's how James addresses the beginning of his book, a servant of Jesus Christ. What he was saying was, I belong to Christ. I do not have the right of self-determination. 
everybody wants to do, well, how shall we say this? Everybody does what they want to do is really the best way to say it. But how many of us already know that we're supposed to do what Christ wants us to do? So that's what Paul was saying here. He said, if you can be made free, if you can gain your freedom, hey, that's great. But if you can't, you serve God where you are. Could we apply that? If you're a mother, guess what? Serve God where you are for the next 20 years. But when they get big, guess what happens? Guess what ought to happen? Hey, Mom, how are you? I mean, we're getting ready to leave on this trip and everything, and phone rings. Happy Mother's Day! I just wanted to talk. Peter, what are you going to tell him? I'm busy. Hang up. I'll talk to you later. No, you take the call. Because that's part of being mom. Amen? But if you're not married, then can you surrender to just being who God's called you to be right where you are? That's harder. But it's the same thing that's spoken here. It's being where I am and serving the Lord because He knew where you were going to be when you got saved. And He knew what your life was going to be about. And if you spend your life trying to make it about something that God never intended it to be, I'll tell you what, you're going to end up like Rachel. Sometimes it's like Mary. You have no clue as to what's going on. But you serve God anyway. You know, I think the hardest one is Eunice. Because all we know about her is that she had unfeigned faith that she inherited from her mother Lois and a son named Timothy. That's not a lot. But she kept that faith real on a daily basis all those years so that when it came a time, Tim, Timothy, was ready to go. Amen? Maybe we'd have someone that says, I would like to be like Hannah. Well, let me challenge you. You gotta get close enough to God to figure out what He wants first. That was the key to Hannah getting that great blessing that she got. She's a picture of what we call faith promise missionary giving. That's when you've already given everything you can and you want to give more. You see, God's interested in missions, amen? Just like He was interested in supplying a man to right the wrongs of Eli and his sons.
You see, it's easy to try to be what other people think I should be. It's easy to try to be what I think I should be. It's well nigh impossible. In fact, without the grace of God, it is impossible to just be content with being what the Lord wants you to be. And yet, that is the essence of all true Christianity. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, so many things could and probably should have been said, but Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that we need to abide in the calling that you've given us. Certainly, Lord, there's no problem, there's nothing wrong with improving our lot in this life. That's what the the passage says. But to be willing to abide where you've called us, that humble, sometimes not even understanding spirit, Lord, but that simple faith in being obedient to you and your word. Lord, that's where we need to be. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning, and this our invitation time, and just simply ask that you would help us to abide where you've called us. Lord, we're thankful for each mother that's here today, and Lord, all the blessings that are attached to that. But more importantly, Lord, We want to be faithful to you and your word in our personal daily lives. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict, to show us what you would have us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Franz, if you come and lead us.